Hello, welcome to UK Wild Life Podcast. I'm Neil Phillips, and I'm afraid it's just me today. But as normal, I'll start with my recent sightings. Now, I've had a fairly productive week. I went up to Oakham Woods in Surrey, and I got some purple emperors, some purple hair streaks actually come down to the ground, which is unusual. A white admiral posed quite nicely, and there were some silver artilleries flying around too. So quite a nice butterfly-rich day. I popped into Fursley as well, and saw a few downy emeralds and black darters and killed skimmers all the sort of heathlandy specialist dragonflies also saw some caterpillar hunting wasps and best of all was a mottled bee fly i also was lucky enough to go to a local brownfield site yesterday and saw my first ever marsh helleborines which are these rather nice orchids but best of all i saw a distinguished jumping spider which i've looked for four times on the site now but my good friend tom bradford found it so well done tom and i got a few pictures you've probably seen on social media and going back to last week a week before i think it was i got a fairly rare ground beetle, which is called a necklace ground beetle, Carabus monlis, uh, which used to be quite common but is now fairly rare and certainly scarce, I think the word is, due to use of pesticide and intensification of agriculture. On podcast news, we've had a review from Surface Stew on Apple Podcasts, and he says, Great pod. Excellent and informative pod. Always really interesting. Keep it up. Well, thanks, Stu. Very kind. And I'll buy me a coffee. You guys have been very generous. Joe Fogey, someone who's put the name as someone. I know who you are because it said, but I, I won't say who. Simon Davies, Martin Andrews, thank you so much for buying us coffee. And in some cases, more than one coffee. That's very kind of you. And a big thanks to Heidi Hutton, who is still our only member. Do please consider it. She donates regularly every month. And that is what's tipped it over the balance to be able to afford a few bits. I might even splash out on a new microphone and hope I get enough coffees to pay for it because... I think this one is starting to crackle at times. Hopefully you haven't noticed it in the episodes, but when I was editing last time, there were some weird sounds. But yes, now onto the main topic of today's podcast, and it is Emerald Damselflies, the Lester Day. Now we did touch on this group during our Dragonfly episode, that's episode 16, and we, you know, we covered the, the main basics, but I want to go into depth on this group because there's four brilliant species and they're all interested in their own way, and if I had to pick a favourite damselfly group, it probably would be these guys. But typically, this group have metallic green to browny bronze coloured bodies, and most species will have some sort of blue prenescence, especially on the males. They are also the largest group of damselflies, except of course for the demoiselles, which are that little bit larger. If you cast your mind back to episode 16, we talked about dragonflies, we talked about the difference between dragonflies and damselflies. It's all a bit complicated, because dragonflies refers to the big chunky ones and it can also be used to cover both dragonflies and damselflies it's all very confusing but if you think of dragonflies as the bigger chunkier ones they tend to sit with their wings open and damselflies the textbook answer is sit with their wings shut of course the emerald damselflies are a bit different they sit with their wings at 45 degrees halfway between the two we have four breeding species in this country we've got the common emerald lesty's sponsor the scarce emerald lesty's dryas and two recent additions, the Southern Emerald, Lestes Barbarus, and the Willow Emerald, Lestes Viridis, or Chalcolestes Viridis, as it's now known. And my usual disclaimer for pronunciation of Latin words applies here. The Common Emerald is the most widely distributed. In fact, when I first started dragonfly watching, it was just known as the Emerald Damselfly, because there's only one other species in the country at the time. But since these two new arrivals have turned up, people seem to be using the phrase common emerald more often. It likes well-vegetated shallow pools with lots of emergent rushes and plants like that, and it can also be found across Europe and a lot of Asia. In terms of appearance, it's got a green body with usually dark pterostigmas, 
that's the small coloured segment at the front sort of corner of the wing for lack of a better word this is quite often used identifying species of this group sometimes there's a little bit of white on them but it's not so common in this species and the males have a blue tip towards the tip of the abdomen now they're quite similar to scarce emerald and there's quite often confusion between the two i know when i'm surveying it can cause issues but overall they tend to be a lot more slender than the scarce emerald with the males there is a field character you can use which is looking at the blue powder prunosity that's right at the top near the thorax of the abdomen so segments one and two are completely covered in blue in the common emerald well, they have to be a bit careful because it can rub off and cause confusion as i'll mention later on with the scarce the most reliable character is to look at the inner appendages these are a pair of smaller appendages inside some larger ones at the tip of the abdomen and in the common emerald they are hockey stick shaped and quite straight and narrow when dealing with females you look at the ovipositor and this doesn't quite stretch to the end of the abdomen in this species the adults emerge from late may if it's a warm spring in the more southern bits of the country but typically it's from june onwards and they can be on the wing as late as October, but that is quite late and doesn't happen every year. Now the scarce emerald has a much more restricted range. It's found in the Thames estuary, so South Essex, North Kent, in the coastal grazing marshes. It's found in Norfolk, in the Pingo Ponds, and a few more sites inland in England, but not very many. In Ireland, however, it's a lot more widespread. It likes similar habitats to the common emerald, but typically it's found in shallow water bodies, that are choked with vegetation and that dry out in the late summer. I've seen them mainly in the coastal ditches called Borodikes on Thames Estuary and they're basically where they've dug out the seawall and left a ditch that dries out a lot of summers and ponds and scrapes around there. Uh, in Norfolk it's Pingo Ponds which are very weedy and shallow and although it's scarce in the UK it is actually quite widespread and found basically across most of the temperate regions of the Northern Hemisphere in Europe, Asia and North America wherever they're suitable habitat. In the UK it was formerly much more widespread and it declined so much it was assumed extinct at one point in the 70s but it was rediscovered in 1983 in Essex at Hadley Country Park which is a local site to me and it may have just been overlooked that whole time rather than recolonised as unless you're looking for it it's probably going to be confused with a common emerald and back in the 70s there wasn't any good ID guides so a lot less people were looking at dragonflies. As I've already mentioned they're similar in appearance to the common emeralds with their green body colour which ages to a lovely bronze the male has a nice blue tip to the abdomen but the main difference in the field people look for is they're a bit more stocky and bulky especially the females the pterostigmas those marks on the wings can more often have some white on there or like power spots right at the tip nothing too significant on the mainly dark spot but again to be 100 percent certain on id you've got to look at those appendages which in the scarce emerald are much thicker and much more incurved some people look at the prunescence on segments 1 and 2 of the abdomen, which should be completely covered in the common, but only half of segment 2 should be covered in the scarce, which works most of the time, but sometimes half the prunescence gets sort of rubbed off because it's like a blue powder of the common emerald males, and so it looks like a scarce, but it's actually a common with half the powder rubbed off a segment. Scarce emeralds tend to be on the wing slightly earlier than common emeralds in the same area, generally from late May onwards, and the season lasts up until mid to late August, generally peaking in June or July. The southern emerald is the most recently colonised emerald, and possibly the most recently colonised dragon or damselfly species overall. In fact, it hadn't even been recorded in the UK for certain until July 2002, when it was found at Winterton Dunes in Norfolk. 
In fact, for most of the last century, it was restricted to southern Europe. There were various records after then, including one very interesting record from Sandwich Bay in Kent, where there was a pair egg-laying. But sadly, there was sea flooding that winter, which probably killed off the eggs. But then in 2010, it turned up at RSVB cliff pools in Kent, or land nearby, in reasonable numbers, which suggested they'd already bred there the year before. But it took until 2015, with repeated sightings every year up till then, when someone found an exuvia, which is where the nymph turns into an adult and leaves a skin behind, and that's called the exuvia. And this confirms that they bred on the site. Back in 2010, it was also found in Essex for the first time, at Watt Tyler Country Park, by some chap called Neil Phillips. Never heard of him. Now there are regular records suggesting their successful colonies at sites in Essex, including the famous Canvey Way Ditch, at Cliff Pools still, but also on the Isle of Wight and the Channel Islands since 2015. There was also a massive colony of over 100 individuals seen at a site much further west than these, but it appears to have been destroyed by the landowner. The habitats you find these in are quite similar to those that you find scarce emerald, and you quite often find them both in the same ditch. But typically the southern emerald tends to stay away from anywhere with water in it and you can often find it certainly at the Canvey Way ditch at hedgerows and meadows actually away from the water or at another site in Essex they're in the ditches that have long dried out. Now the two best features to distinguish this species from the others is the bicoloured pterostigmas so that's those coloured markers on the wings again which are about 50-50 black and white so you have one black half or one white half. Although the previous two species can have some white on their pterostigmas there's nowhere near as much as in the southern. There is also what's referred to as the white jowls, which is basically a white area behind the eyes on the head. And when I say white, I mean a sort of creamy white. But overall, when you see them, they lack that emerald green coloration. It's almost more of a desert camo type feel with sort of a bronzy and largely creamy white underside. And the male only has a tiny bit of blue right at the tip of the abdomen. And he doesn't have any of that prunosity blue powder on their first two segments. And finally, it's just much longer than the previous two species, being 40 to 45 millimetres long, whereas the last two species max out at 39 mil. In the UK, this species appears to come out a bit later than the others, on the wing from July, but that might be a consequence of it recently colonising, so there's not so many around to see and be observed. The last species I'm going to talk about is the willow emerald. Now this is another recent colonist, it was recorded only twice in the 20th century, then there was one found in 2007, but in 2009 suddenly we had 400 records of it in South East Suffolk and North East Essex, suggesting they had colonised before then. They'd been spreading steadily up until 2014, but then they started to spread rapidly. By 2015 they had reached 8 counties, Suffolk, Norfolk, Essex, Kent, Cambridgeshire, Hertfordshire, Surrey and West Sussex and in 2016 they reached Bedfordshire, Lincolnshire, Northamptonshire and Buckinghamshire but in 2019 there was a massive push northwards and they reached as far as North Yorkshire that was a full hundred miles further than they'd be recorded in 2018 but weirdly they're not spreading west so fast so they've only just reached Hampshire now this whole spread is being tracked as part of the British Dragonfly Society Willow Emerald Project so head to their website for more info this is another of the larger species, maxing out at 48mm long, so actually slightly longer than the southern sometimes. It is a metallic green, like the common and scarce emerald, but it lacks any of the blue coloration or prunescence found in those two species. Now the best field character to recognise these is quite an easy one. The pterostigmas are completely white at all times. Some of the other species can have white pterostigmas when they first emerge, but if you look at the colours, which will be a bit more faded and the wings a bit more glossy, it will show that it's what they call a tenral or recently emerged damselfly, so you know it's not a willow. But if you see a properly metallic green 
damselfly with white pterostigmas, you've got a willow emerald. They also have a habit of hanging in vegetation at head height or even higher, which the others don't tend to do. Now this species is the last to emerge, usually in July, occasionally a few in June, and can be on the wing quite late, well into autumn, as much as late October. So if you see a damselfly, especially a metallic green one flying around at that time of year, although it probably would have gone a bit bronze by then, it's probably a willow emerald. All these species lay eggs, but they have a fairly, I'm not say unique, but a common thread to them all so they'll lay their eggs inside some sort of vegetation and what happens is the egg starts to develop gets to the point where the eyes are ready to go and then just stops it goes into what's called diapause now this is when animal stops developing for a certain amount of time usually for periods of what they call adverse environmental conditions which in the case of the emeralds is usually winter when it's too cold or when the pond's still dry, so they're waiting for the water to come back. And they'll hatch when conditions are suitable for larval development. So that's going to be late winter, early spring, typically. Females lay the eggs by using their ovipositor to cut inside of the vegetation and lay the eggs inside. But there's differences between where they lay the eggs and what makes them hatch between the species. The common emerald tends to lay in rushes or other vegetation just above the water surface or even below it and they do so in tandem so the male's hanging on to the female with his claspers at the end of the abdomen and she holds onto her around the neck and this is to stop any other males grabbing hold of her and mating with her so the common emerald will go right underwater sometimes when it's laying eggs and it can stay under there for up to 30 minutes and it does this by trapping a bubble of air over its body which basically acts like an air supply a bit like an oxygen tank i suppose now they lay their eggs in permanent or semi-permanent and sometimes temporary ponds and ditches, although usually while there's water in them obviously. And the eggs hatch in spring and they believe it's the rise in water temperature that triggers their hatching. Scarce emerald have a slightly different technique. They lay their eggs above the water level in plants like sea club rush in the Thames estuary and greater tussock sedge when they're in the Norfolk pingo ponds. And they usually lay them between 2.5 and 60 centimetres above the water surface. And that would be above sort of shallow and typically what they call venerable ponds or ditches, which are temporary ponds basically, that dry out in summer and are refilled in late autumn and winter by the rain and snow, depending where you are. The eggs hatch when the water levels rise and immerse them. So as the water level pond or ditch fills up it triggers the eggs to hatch so sometimes they actually hatch in autumn although it can be in spring and they tend to aim for it to be in spring which we'll come to later but studies in Canada have shown that when the eggs are still in diapause they can survive temperatures as low as minus 20 degrees centigrade which is pretty impressive the nymphs are also tolerant of slightly saline conditions up to four percent seawater which is not that brackish but it's still brackish water southern emerald are different again they'll lay in vegetation where the water has completely dried out. So I've seen it in Essex where there's a ditch that has dried right down and the nearest water is many, many metres away. And the mud is actually starting to crack below where they're egg laying. But the willow emeralds take an even more radical approach. They lay their eggs in branches and other vegetation that's overhanging water of ponds and lakes that are often a lot more permanent than the other species. And they'll even lay over slow flowing rivers. Now these twigs and branches are often of willow and alder, but they've also been recorded egg laying in ash, hawthorn, elder and even nettles. Interestingly, the eggs can form a type of gall around them. So this is a damselfly that creates galls, which is pretty cool when you think about it. Now like all British dragon and damselflies, the eggs hatch into an aquatic nymph. Now this nymph goes through a number of stages called instars and molting each time 
because it's got an exoskeleton that can't expand as it grows so it molts every time it needs to grow. In most dragon and damselfly species in the UK this takes two or three years and in the case of a golden ring dragonfly in Scotland it can take up to seven years to reach the adult stage. But as we'll see this can be much less in the emerald damselflies. Like all damselfly nymphs they have three tails called cordial lamellae. These leaf shaped appendages have a large surface area to aid oxygen getting into the body but are also used by the nymph when it wants to swim. And like all dragon and damselflies, their mouth is extendable for grabbing prey as it swims past. The nymphs are going to be feeding on other freshwater creatures like water shrimps, water fleas, ostracods and even each other. When you start reading around the literature, the period of 60 days is often quoted for the development of common and scarce emeralds in the UK. Though one study states a figure as little as 45 days for the scarce emerald. The scarce emeralds that hatch in autumn will obviously take a lot longer and captive reared nymphs that hatched in mid-November took around 195 days. That's six and a half months if you're wondering. But there's an interesting study by Franz Joseph Scheel and this looked at the four UK species of lesties but in Germany. So there's going to be a few differences but the general pattern should be the same hopefully. Now they found that the two species most often found in ponds that dry up in summer that's the scarce and southern emerald hatched earlier in January to March, and the two generalist species, which is the common and willow, and live in sort of more permanent water bodies, would hatch a bit later. Common typically hatch in February, March, although it can be January to April, and willow from March onwards, but typically April to May. They also looked at the literature at other people's studies, and they found hatching records for southern emeralds in October to December, scarce in November, which is probably the study I mentioned earlier, and common in September to December, but for the willow, it seems they strictly hatch only in spring, which suggests their hatching is triggered by the warm spring weather. The study also looked at how long each nymph took to develop. Now the scarce took 77 days and the southern 83 days, which compared to the common, which took 75, and the willow, which only took 55, seems quite long, especially when they've got to develop quickly to get out of the pond before it dries up. But of course, the willow and common are hatching later, so they're in warmer weather and developing quicker. And because the southern and scarce hatch earlier, they still emerge before those two species. Which is what this study found in emergence times, with the willow coming out last, just after the common emerald. Meanwhile, the southern and the scarce came out much earlier. So a temporary pond is quite a risky place to live in some ways, because there's always the risk that you will not develop fully before the pond dries out, so you have to evolve ways to develop before it does. So why live in a temporary pond at all with all these problems? Well it turns out there's quite a few benefits living in a temporary pond. There's not so many other species of dragonfly there because it's a bit of a tough place to live. They're quite shallow so have lots of light and are productive. That means there's lots of food and they also warm up quicker which helps speed up development. And then there's the fact that they dry out which in the UK at least means no fish and no big dragonfly nymphs which take multiple years to develop like the emperor nymph for example. This means the southern and scarce emerald nymphs can be active hunters moving around the pond without too much fear of being eaten. So when it comes time to emerge, like all dragon and damselflies, the nymph must crawl out of the water, usually onto emergent vegetation in these species. The exoskeleton of the final nymph skin breaks open, out wiggles the damselfly, it then pumps blood into its wings and body along with some air, and then it flies away from the pond or ditch it's emerged from so it can fully mature and feed up, ready to fight for mates and lay an eggs. Typically, they won't return to the water until they're ready. You can often find recently emerged dragon and damselflies in hedgerows and meadows near to suitable ponds and ditches. 
Some will disperse widely, which is how we've ended up with willow emeralds and southern emeralds in the UK. The adults hunt like many damselflies, picking midges and similar prey off of vegetation, and I've also seen them take off and grab midges as they fly past. The amount damselflies disperse, especially with some of these temporary pond specialists, is an interesting area of research. There was one study on southern emerald in Italy, and it found that the adults are highly philopatric. That is, they stay in the same area, and return to the exact pond or ditch they emerged from. Now, they took an experiment that moved the nymphs to a second pond, and almost all the adults returned to that second pond. So it's obviously not where they're laid, it's where they emerge from, they remember somehow. Now, this has probably evolved because there'll be lots of temporary ponds around in an area, but only very few of them will have a regular water cycle where the water stays in long enough every year for them to develop, but also still dry out. The study had some other interesting findings. They found that while maturing, which took two and a half to four months in Italy, which is probably much longer than in the UK, the insects may fly more than 500 metres and up to a kilometre away, but usually return to the breeding pond using some sort of homing mechanism, but we're not sure what that is. If there's other ponds that seem suitable for them to breeding, even if they're quite nearby, they won't go to those for some reason we're not quite sure why so it takes a long time for short-range dispersal and colonization of nearby ponds to happen but obviously there must be some sort of long dispersal just a small percentage of the population i imagine that does disperse because it's been spreading northwards and into uk in recent decades so something's going on there there's also another interesting study on the common emeralds which showed that those in warmer climates and longer summers at lower latitudes, they took a lot longer to mature than the same species at higher latitudes with shorter summers. And I believe that's to try and ensure that the eggs are laid as late as possible in summer so they don't hatch in autumn. But when they looked in Europe, they couldn't find a similar pattern in behaviour. And as usual, to borrow from the World Episode podcast, there's so much more I could delve into, but I just haven't got time to cover today. Maybe I'll touch on this group again in another podcast, but I hope you agree they're a remarkable group. I'm heavily biased because I can get all four species in Essex. In fact, that Canvey Way ditch I mentioned, some people last year got all four species in the one ditch. But before I finish, I mentioned the fifth British emerald damselfly. Now this is just one single record in Wales which suggests it was imported, but it is a European species, it's called the winter damselfly, and as the name suggests, it actually overwinters as an adult. And with global warming, who knows, maybe it will colonise us. There's a few other lessy species as well, that are sort of sitting just across the channel, along with a few other dragonflies, including some really nice ones. Global warming might kill us all, but we might get some nice dragonflies before it does, so... Silver lining, I guess. July is the best month for these damselflies. If you do see some, do let us know at hashtag UK Wildlife Podcast. But that's it from me, guys. I'll see you soon, hopefully for another dragonfly-themed episode. Bye-bye for now. Look after yourselves. Thank you for listening to the UK Wildlife Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast service you use. You can follow us on Twitter at UK Wildlife Pod, all one word. Or on Instagram at UK Wildlife Podcast. And like us on our Facebook page, UK Wildlife Podcast. And you can also post to the UK Wildlife Podcast community group. 
If you would like to share your wildlife news or sightings with us on Instagram or Twitter, then please tag us in the post and use the hashtag UKWildlifePodcast. And you can now support us through our Buy Me A Coffee account, which you can find at buymeacoffee.com forward slash UKWildlifePod, where you can give us a one-off bit of support or join our membership scheme. Head there to find out more. This episode was edited by Neil Phillips, and music is by Oscar Henderson. You can find him on Instagram at oscar.creates.